Hi readers, for those new to the magazine, my name is Lauren Bellamy, founder, editor, and writer of for Hear Her Speak magazine, and I also have some other of the staff members with me, so they're going to introduce themselves real quick. Hi, I'm Sue Hyla. I'm a writer and editor for the magazine. And I'm Vishnavi, and I'm also a writer, and I make cover art. All right, thank you all. So today we are interviewing our November Woman of the Month, Dr. Greenlee Naughton. All of us actually had the honor to be taught by this awesome lady last year as she was our IB English 12 English teacher. And even though our time with her was cut short, she truly made a positive and lasting impact on all of our lives. She's actually the reason I personally decided to major in English and minor in secondary education actually at her alma mater, Randolph-Macon College. And she's, because she taught our class with grace and made us all feel comfortable and not afraid at all to be able to speak up in class with the various texts that we discussed throughout the year. She's also a mother to three children and received her doctor doctoral degree just a few years ago. And she is such a caring and kind person. So we wanted to celebrate her for all that she has done and will continue to do in the future. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Naughton. That was really sweet. I don't even think I deserve half of that, but thank you. <laughs> okay, so we'll start off with our first question. Okay. Who is your biggest female role model? Um, I, it's probably go going to say, going to seem cliche at this point, but I really do respect Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I do think she was a trailblazer. Um, I followed her career even before she was on the Supreme Court. And so um, I'm just so sad that she's not here anymore with us because I, I do think that for um, not only women and not only women from my generation, but probably your generation and Jewish Americans she was a very important role model for all of them. Um, I would also say that as far as literature goes, I have a deep respect for Zora Neale Hurston. Um, and that is because she was writing at a very difficult period and uh, she sort of broke tons of barriers. Um, she had you know, Langston Hughes was very popular. They were good friends for a while and she would not kind of kowtow to him and do what he wanted. And so I respect that definitely about her and uh, um, their friendship ended up, you know, kind of falling apart um, because she would not do specifically what he wanted when they were working together. And so I think that is very admirable. Um, for her time period as well. I, re I respect women who break barriers and who are not afraid to sort of um, challenge the status quo, either in writing or in their careers or, um, you know, with what they have to say. Hey, thank you for that. Um, typically in vocational journeys, people run into hardships and rethink their previous decisions. Have you ever had a similar experience and or believe that you were heading down the wrong path? And if so, how are you able to overcome the feeling? So I don't know if I ever shared this with you guys, but I never intended to be a teacher. Both of my parents were teachers. Um, I saw my mom was an elementary school teacher. My dad was a college professor. And, and 
you know, I saw how hard they worked and it just did not interest me. I mean, I remember watching my mom grade papers at night and it just was not the thing. But I grew up in a very traditional household and my parents said, look, we will send you to college. You will not have to take out any loans, but there's one thing we want you to do for us. We want you to um, have, have some way to support yourself. Always have a way that you can find a job, you can do something, you can support yourself. We don't ever want you to have to depend on a husband or you know, have to depend on us for your livelihood. And so they said, just do us a favor. You don't have to major in education, which Randolph, which was good because Randolph-Macon didn't have an education major, but they said, you know, there's a minor, you should get a minor and, and you'll always be able to have a teaching job. And so that's basically what I did. And I thought, I'm gonna go to law school. That, is, that was my main goal in college. And my GPA in college was okay. I mean, my freshman year, I did not do especially well um, for a variety of reasons, but mostly it was because I I'm, didn't do what I needed to do to get A's. So I mostly had B's. My GPA was probably about a 3.0. And when I graduated, the guide, the um, counselors in the career center said, you know what, you're not going to get in anywhere that you want to go for law school with a 3.0. You really should think about going and getting an, a master's degree. So I did, but my parents were like, we paid for your bachelor's degree. You're going to have to pay for your master's. And I picked, because you, you know, when, when you're like 21 or 22, you have no idea money and the implications of that. And so I picked the University of Richmond for my master's degree, which it was a beautiful campus. I had a great experience. I had like five people in my master's program, but it also cost me $50,000. And so when I graduated with my master's, I was like, I just can't by that point, I had some sense of money. And I was like, I cannot go into debt any further. I'm not going to, I won't be able to buy a house. I won't be able to do anything. So I decided that I would pay off my master's degree by teaching. And so, you know, I did some some substitute teaching, but in the eighties, it was really tough to get hired. And I didn't get hired as a teacher. So I went to work um, in a different industry. I did HR for a while. And then when I had my kids, I sort of, um, I was home with my son, Patrick in 1999, and he was born in March. And in April, Columbine happened. And I was home on maternity leave. And I just was like glued to the television. And it's really weird because I know that when people talk about 9-11 and the you know, how the enlistments went way up after 9-11 and people joined police forces and they joined the military. I just felt like this urge to teach. And so I went back off of maternity leave, quit my job and started teaching that August. Um, so it, it, it is really weird for me how all of those things fell into place. If I hadn't had to pay for my master's degree, I probably would have gone on to law school and wouldn't have looked back. But what I, I really don't feel like my life would have been nearly as fulfilling if I'd done that. So that's a really long answer.
but I'm old. Remember, I've been through a lot. That's, that's really empowering to just see how, um, how different events can actually truly influence everyone's life mm -hmm. um, and how it can completely change it from how you may have thought it would have been in the first place. But. Which, is, which is when I tell you guys, if you don't get into your first choice of colleges, it's not the end of the world because there's, there are things that are going to happen that you don't expect. Your life is never going to be linear, but it's going to end up being richer and more fulfilling that way. And I've really seen that happen to a lot of students and my own children as well. That's awesome. And I, I, that's definitely true. Just seeing like how all of us, we, um, we all are doing extremely well at all of our institutions, whether it was our first choice or not. So that was definitely awesome advice. And so thinking of advice as a teacher, what is your advice for young women who want to have a career in the profession? Um, well, first of all, I would say it, teaching has definitely changed uh, over the past 20 years that I've been teaching. Um, I would say for young women though, and, and I am very much, I consider myself a feminist, but for my particular situation, it was great for me to have the time with my kids during the summer um, and to be able to travel with them and be able to have holidays off. Um, teaching is very much, has always been a female profession female dominated profession. Um, and so there are some trade-offs with that. With time, you don't make the money that you might make in a different career, even though you're probably working 80 hours a week. Um, you know, you're working as much as other people do. But I think just having that time to be able to pursue other opportunities, additional education. I travel when COVID's not around. I travel basically all summer. And I wouldn't be able to do that with a traditional career. Um, I mean, maybe I would if I had been working, you know, 30 years and had six weeks of vacation, but it's nice to be able to have the opportunity to pursue other um, interests. And I think teaching allows you to do that. It also allows you, um, you know, to build some pretty strong because it, there are so many females in the profession to build like a sisterhood almost with other teachers. And that's not to say that I don't have male friends who are teachers, but I have a, I have a core group of, um, and, and it was that way at Henrico and it was really that way at Highland Springs. I have a core group of support and, and they're women and we support each other. Um, and I don't think you have that necessarily that sisterhood in other professions, maybe, um, maybe nursing, but that's really not a female dominated profession anymore. So if you're looking for that sisterhood, you're looking for that extra time. I, I think teaching lends itself to both of those things. That's really great. And going off of that, could you name some of your favorite memories as a teacher? Um, well, I just have general memories that like when kids get, and you guys remember this from like Socratic seminars and even from studying Boland, I've studied Boland. I studied her. I actually studied her abroad, but yet when I hear students come up with something that I haven't thought of, I literally get chills. 
And so that happens, you know, it happens pretty frequently because the, the power of a, a group of students is much more insightful than what I have, right? So when I can see that, um, and when I can see people kind of, when I can see those light bulbs going off because someone made a comment and it made someone else think about that. I mean, that is, that's the best part for me. Um, now, you know, being the Henrico teacher of the year was phenomenal, right? That was something I never expected. Um, and so that, that's obviously pretty high up in my, you know, ranking. Um, but just generally being with students um, and seeing those those light bulb moments and and capturing, you know, if a student, I had a student also at Highland Springs, and you know, reading is really important to me, um, and getting students back into reading is really important. And I had a, a tenth grader who wrote all over. I gave them a reading survey at the beginning of the year, and she wrote all over it. I and big capital letters, I hate reading. And we had a silent sustained reading program there. Um, it was choice reading and we gave them 15 to 20 minutes at the beginning of every class to read, to try to recapture that love of reading. And I remember it when we were getting ready to go on spring break and she started reading. And she said, um, you're never gonna believe what I, with, what I hope the Easter Bunny is gonna bring me. And I said, what, Madison, what could this be? And she said, I've asked for the rest of the series that I've been reading in your room. And it was like some vampire. It wasn't Twilight, but it was another one of those vampire werewolf things. And she had gotten to like book number five and there were maybe 12 of them. And she wanted the remaining ones in her Easter basket. So, so when you take a, a kid like that who hates reading and then now there are a reader and they're going to read for the rest of their lives, that is incredible. But you guys were always readers, right? Mm -hmm. You were always, I would always see books. Lauren has told me books to read. I remember seeing books in both of your hands. <laughs> um, so, you know, there are different classes and different groups of students you can have kind of those most meaningful moments with. So that's a roundabout answer. <laughs> Um, so I remember being in your classroom and you always would say, um, trust the process and all of that, but could you tell us a little bit about your teaching philosophy and what you do specifically to inspire your students? So I, in being a mother as well, I try not to talk down to students and I tr never tried to talk down to my own kids. Like there was never baby talk. I always try to speak to students and, and try to do this with my own children as adults, you know, as people with meaningful contributions. Um, I think one thing, you know, I believe very much in tough love. I, I can adapt and know, and I'm, I'm going through this with some students right now. I know they're not giving me their, their best. And I know what they're doing is they're trying to see how low I will take the bar and I don't, I won't take it low. If I think you can do it, I'm going to keep it high and I'm going to show you that you can get there because that what you're going to feel intrinsically knowing that you accomplished something that was difficult 
uh, is so much better than taking that bar down so that you know you can have that immediate gratification. I would rather students work hard and, and know that they've really done something, they've accomplished something difficult than to make it easy. I think we can cheat students when we do stuff like that. We can cheat them out of knowing what they really can do and what they really are capable of. So you, I mean, you know, you've seen the tough love, right? I'm, I'm going to hold people to certain standards and, and 99% of the time they're going to get there. I definitely agree. And that's like something that I loved about your class because I I always knew that you truly wanted to make sure all of us were learning um, everything that we possibly can and actually truly look at the text and, you know, kind of look at, um, instead of just looking at the, whatever the text is saying, look between the lines a lot. And so that was something that was really impactful for my life in terms of even coming to college and being able to truly be able to kind of look between the lines and it's helped me tremendously. So thank you so much for doing that. Yay. What, what would be the worst thing for me is for somebody to come back and say, for a former student to come back and say, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready when I left your class. I, I couldn't do it in college. That would be terrible. Um, and I wouldn't be able to forgive myself if I didn't try to get you as prepared as I can. Well, I know from, at least from all of our um, peers who we still talk to, a lot of our friends, we all just talk about how awesome of a teacher you were Aww, and how we all you. loved your class. I didn't even get you for like the last nine weeks. It was, we were so cheated. Yes. We were cheated. The, the, best, the best stuff was coming up. Uh, I'm so sad. But um, if you could say something to your younger self, what would it be and why? Well, I think it, I'd go back to what I said about life not being linear and it's going to be okay. It really, I, there are certain expectations that society places on people. And I, I don't know if I told you guys this, but I got married right out of college. And that was another reason that I did not go to law school. I married, and, but it, it was like, I was going to college at the time that when you graduated, you needed to have a ring on your finger. And so I married the wrong guy. I was married for two years. I knew immediately that it was a mistake. Um, and it was just, and that played into a lot of the financial stuff too, right? Because there were a lot of things going on with getting divorced and having that student debt and all of that. Um, I would have never considered I was the first person in my family to get divorced, but it has all worked out. I mean, I, the second time around, I met a great guy. Um, I can't imagine we've been married for 26 years. I can't imagine, you know, not having met him. And, but at the time it was crushing to have to say, oh my gosh, I have made this big mistake. I've got to get out of this and I've got to tell my parents Oh my gosh, you know, my grandparents. Um, and so that was, it was pretty soul crushing to have to go through that. Um, but I think the other thing I would say is when you realize something is a mistake, you know, not to kind of hang out and think it's going to get better. You know, you kind of have to take things 
in your own hands. And, and like I said, I knew, I knew right away that it was a pro that it was not a good fit. I probably knew when he asked me that I should have said no. So I would have saved myself a lot of heartache if I'd followed my gut and done that. Um, but it, you know, I went through that. I, it was a learning experience. I figured out what I didn't want in a husband and that was okay. I, Randolph-Macon was not my first choice. I did not get into my first choice. Um, it ended up being a great fit for me. I have lifelong friends. Um, we talk every month. We Zoom every month. Um, I have, you know, just great memories of my time there. And so, and, and that's where I really developed my love of literature. <clears throat> and Lauren, you know that because of the small classes, right? Yes. <laughs> so, and, and I wouldn't have had that. Like I was able to be a big fish at, at Randolph-Macon and I wouldn't have had that had I ended up getting into um, my first choice. You know, so I, I just, I think it's hard at the time, you know, it, if something doesn't go the way you think it's going to, and it's, it's like, what have I done? I've made such a big mistake, or I, I shouldn't have goofed off so much, or I should have taken, I should have studied more for the SAT, so my score could have been higher. You know, we tend to beat ourselves up for things that really end up being okay in the end. And that's what I would tell you, and that's what I would tell my former self. All right, so our final non-rapid fire question <laughs> is about our theme of the month. So it is for November, it's traditions. So do you okay. mind telling us a tradition you like to celebrate or incorporate in your life? It could be relating to holidays or something you do as a teacher. Hmm. Traditions. See, all of everything has like been blown up, right? By COVID. Right. Um, I mean, I, my favorite time of the year is Christmas. And for many years, um, my mother, my mother was an art major before she became a kindergarten teacher. And so going to see art exhibits and going to New York City was to see a Broadway play or two was always um, something that we did. And I, we did it with my sisters. Um, and so that growing up, that was part of my Christmas, right? We just, we went to New York City for a couple of days. We saw a couple of plays. We saw the Rockettes. We maybe went to an art exhibit. And, you know, I have continued that with my husband and my own children. But this will be the first year in about 24 years that I won't go to New York in December. And, you know, that's, it's pretty, pretty sad. You know, will I live? Yeah, I'll be fine. But that's just been something that I've carried on because I, I know a lot of, about art and I, I can see the connections between art and literature, but that's because of my mom. And so kind of doing that for my own children um, has been, has, and of course now they're, working and have other things but i still my husband and i went to new york last last christmas saw a couple of plays saw an exhibit on jd salinger catcher in the rye and i won't have that this year so hopefully next year can get my tradition back 
Okay, so now we're going to transition into the rapid fire questions. Okay. So the first one is, who is your favorite music artist? My favorite music artist? Yeah. Um, you're going to laugh, but um, I really love the hair bands from the 80s. So I would say, you know, it's probably Boston, Van Halen, Loverboy. I mean, like any of those, the hair bands. Oh, cool. Stevie Nicks, even even like Stevie Nicks, and she's a woman, but you know, I just any '80s. My my Sirius XM is on the '80s channel. <laughs> '80s has good music, though. I was talking to my parents about that. I was like, the '80s have like the best music. Um, <laughs> well, now it's good, you know. But yes. before, <laughs> uh, what is your favorite literary genre? I, you know, that it changes. Right now, I am very much into historical fiction. Um, and I just finished a book called um, The Book Woman of Troublesome Creek. And it's about, it's, it's a fictionalized version of a nonfiction um, sort of group of women who in Appalachia, in Kentucky, um, as part of the works project um wpa they took books on horseback out to rural people and they set up a library and i i mean i think that's just amazing so um right now right now it's historical fiction it's a good genre though <laughs> <laughs> so our next question is kind of intertwined but it might also be something that changes so who's your favorite author um well, you know, I have a soft spot for F. Scott Fitzgerald, but I also really like Hemingway. Um, and I've rediscovered recently Edith Wharton. So, um, and I don't know, I, I just, Edith, it's the Gilded Age. Um, and it's that, I think it's that connection to New York City too, because I, I love New York. Um, and she spent a lot of time there. I also really like Dorothy Parker. And if you guys have not read any Dorothy Parker short stories, I mean, you talk about a woman who uh, sort of went against the norm and she, she had a pretty tragic life, but she's, she's got some good short stories. She's got uh, she, very satirical. So um, yeah, those are, those are right now who I'm reading. Um, Although, you know, I'm in this book club with Miss Henley, so <laughs> we read all different kinds of stuff. And I believe you answered this before, but would you prefer Christmas or Thanksgiving? Um, you know, I think Christmas because of what I associate, you know, with Christmas. Um, and I have a vegetarian daughter who does not appreciate <laughs> Thanksgiving, so... You know, she, she's not even interested in coming home for Thanksgiving right now. Hmm. So, cause it, she's like, mom, it's not my favorite holiday. So oh. yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Favorite season? Fall right now. <laughs> and if you could immerse yourself in a fictional world, where would you go and why? Uh, let's see. Have a thing for the 1920s, as you know, because of Gatsby. Um, but I also 
you know, Shakespeare, I, I'm so curious about the world in which Shakespeare wrote. And, and I was reading something about, you know, the theaters all closed for the plague. They were combined, they were kind of comparing it to COVID. And he was most, he was very prolific during the period in which the theaters were closed. So I, I think going back in that and, and just kind of living in that, um, time period and maybe even running into him would be pretty fascinating because <laughs> of what he's become. Right. That would be really cool. But uh, also what is 1920s Paris. Okay. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite color? Purple. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is your favorite quotation? Um, there's a quotation now. I cannot, I, I can't, um, I'm going to paraphrase it and you can, you, it's easy to find, but it's like, it's about the four teachers and it's like the, the mediocre teacher shows the, um, the better teacher, um, you know, explains. And then um, the last one is, is the best part. And I can't, I, I'm getting old, but you guys look it up. I think it's by William Ward. Okay. It's about it's about the what an excellent teacher does or what the best teacher does. Um, I also like I also like one by Robert Frost. Hang on, I also like one, and it's about I am not so much a teacher as I am an awakener. I think that's oh, how. That I goes. love that. And I might have that wrong too. <laughs> it's okay. Both of, those, both of those are pretty good. And you know, I have the last line of the of Gatsby. In yes. My, you know, <laughs> I have a friend who did that for me, and that so it's downstairs in my living room. Um, what is the favorite, or where is the favorite place you've lived, and why? Uh, I have loved. I, I mean, the area where you guys are from. Um, you know, the Richmond area, I was there the most because I went to college there. Um, I like that it's close to the mountains and I like that it's close to the beach. So I would say Richmond and I like all the history in Richmond. I don't, I don't like, um, I like that it's a historical area. I don't necessarily like the history that's there, but it is yeah. changing. Um, and so, but I do think that it's just, it's got so much to offer in terms of geography. Um, the people are really really good too for the most part um and you know i just have fondness because of the university of richmond and you and randolph macon good, <laughs> good times good learning okay donuts or cookies cookies go-to song or what is your go-to song um toto's africa Oh, I love that one. I love yeah. that song. <laughs> um, what is your favorite food? Favorite food? Um, I really like good pasta, so I would say probably fettuccine Alfredo. Oh, my sister loves fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> I love fettuccine. Can't eat very often, or I'd be like seven hundred pounds. But yeah. <laughs> where would you want to? And this is the last one. Where would you want to go for vacation, and why? So. I've got two places. I have two trips that I'm hoping I'm going to take this, this summer. And one is Egypt because I've just been dying to get to Egypt. Um, I am pretty fascinated with 
the whole mummies and, and Sphinx and, you know, all of that. So I do want to get there, but my number one trip um, is going to be to South Africa because I, mm -hmm. I want, because I, you know, I, I teach the apartheid because I love um, that area. I, I just, you know, I, I want to immerse myself in Johannesburg and I want to go to Mandela's house. I want to see Robin Island, you know, there's a lot that's there um, that is pretty fertile for literature right now, but it's, it's still not a great situation. Um, but I think it's getting better, but I think we're going to see an explosion of South African literature. Um, and so I'd like to get there before we see that explosion to kind of see it developing. Right. Okay. So I, I am so glad that you joined us today and we all <laughs> are and so, so honored it's so good to see you guys it's so good to see you too and um thank you to our readers for sitting and watching this with us um we genuinely enjoyed interviewing our former teacher who will always um be one of our favorite teachers definitely at least for me <laughs> and um and so thank you so much dr Naughton, for taking the time out of your day to talk with us today it's great to see you guys. You are, you are exceeding expectations. Oh, thank you. So I hope you get some recognition for your wonderful work. I hope we get some more readers as well. Yeah. So. Tell me what I can do to help you. Definitely.